Boom, we're fancy, fancy schmancy up here. I'm just controlling it from this tablet. And uh, anyways, thought I'd let you know. Um, we got a few, uh, a few words of knowledge. Casey, you can come on up here. And Sam, will you hit the, the lights whenever you get, get a chance? Um, it's Casey. Casey says Chris. Um, yeah, you, uh, she could take her place for a second. Um, I, was, I was praying for our nation this week, and, and I was in the car again. Um, so I was, I was, uh, when you look at, when you look in the natural, it, the, the things can look bleak and it's like the opposite of hope when you, you, uh, the majority of, of what we read and the news and reports and that type of thing. And, and so, um, I believe the Lord gives us burdens to carry that, that will, that will come to him in prayer, but it's to give the burdens back to him and because his yoke is easy and light. And so I was, I was grieved in my heart because of the division and the nation and even in the church. And, and I, I just asked the Lord, I said, Lord, what do you think about all this? And when I asked him that, I just started laughing. I just was like, <laughs> I mean, I didn't plan on doing that. And so that was the Lord's answer. And it's in his word. It says in Psalm 2, it says, Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? Does that sound like our nation and other nations? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. And then this is how the Lord sees the situation. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I've installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. So the Lord's response is he laughs, he laughs and then he says, My son's the king. My son's the king. And he says, I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, this is Jesus talking about the father through David. <laughs> you are my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. So that word surely means it's like a guarantee. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You will shatter them like earthenware. Now, therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son that he may not become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are those who take refuge in him. So that word. It says, do homage to the son, but it's actually translated, kiss the son. So you, what do you do when you bow before a king? You, you kiss the ring. It's, it's that kind of image. And, and what David's saying here through the Holy Spirit is like, it's, it's good right now to bend the knee to Jesus and submit your life to him. Because he's a good king. He's actually the one that will be 
will actually stand you up and be like, no, let me wash your feet. That's who Jesus is. So, KC, come on up, you got a word of knowledge. Is there anybody in here that has issues with their knees or used to have issues with their knees? Ms. Kimberly, all right, all right. If y'all will stand up. It's like, why are you making me stand up when I have issues with my knees? <laughs> exactly. All right. Um, if it, those around, if Kristen, if you'll like put your hand on Colleen's knees and if we can get some hands laid on these knees. Anybody else, can you can just stretch your hand out towards the knees. I feel like he really wanted to fix our gate this morning. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you persistently reveal your will of healing. So, Daddy, I pray that you would heal every form of ligament and cartilage in the knees right now in Jesus' name. The ACLs, MCLs, and PCLs, I command you to be made whole. Any tears, I command you to be made whole. And, Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would supernaturally strengthen the muscle fibers around the knee and the kneecap right now in Jesus' name. If there's ever been any location, minor or major, I pray that you would completely heal the ligaments and the tendons around it in Jesus' name. And Lord, I also pray that as you're healing our knees, as you're removing the pain and as you're strengthening our legs, I pray that we would have revelation on how to better take care of ourselves just in general, Lord. I thank you that you love us, and so you want us to love us so we can love others well. So, Daddy, I thank you for your healing and your will. I thank you that you are a good steward, and you call us to be good stewards of our bodies. In Jesus' name, strength to the knees. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Strength, strength, strength. In Jesus' name, amen. If y'all want to, if you feel any better, that's good stuff. If not, keep walking. Is there any improvement? Any at all? A little bit? Okay. Thank you, Daddy. Not popping. Yes, Lord. <laughs> Good deal. All right. There you go. Thank you, Casey. I also have a word of knowledge. Is anybody, it's kind of, well, I'll just say, anybody contemplating a move to California by a chance? All right. So I felt like God said he's going to, he's putting a jawbone of a donkey in your hand to slay your enemies. And it's California is kind of in the shape of a jawbone. And I just felt like, you know, your enemies are, are not flesh and blood, but there's, um, in every word that's given from the awakening, you test that with the Lord. This isn't, we're fallible people, but we, we just try our best to be faithful with what God gives us. So you, you test this and you ask God about it and all that kind of stuff. But I feel like there could be some uh, uh, how do I word this for you? There could be some great purpose for you in California, but you need to hear from the Lord yourself too to, and, and ask him to confirm it if that's something that you're, you're supposed to do anytime you, it's a big directional move, you, you know, you need to get some, some uh, other input besides one source, especially if it's somebody outside of you. Uh, so anyways, but I, I just feel like he's, 
there's some giant killing and some enemy slaying to be done out there. So what's your name? Michael. Extend your hands to Michael. We're going to pray for you. Father, we pray that you would direct Michael's path in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that um, many are the plans in a man's heart, but you direct our steps. So with Holy Spirit, we just de declare that whether Michael turns to the right or to the left, he will hear your voice behind him saying, this is the way, walk in it. And Father, I do ask you just put that jawbone of a donkey in his hand, Lord, that there's, you're giving him great strength to slay his enemies. To, Lord, you've, you've given, there's an assignment on his life to, to take down giants, to, to make room for the people of God and to, for his breakthrough to be a corporate breakthrough, God, his personal victories to be corporate victories. And so, Father, we just declare that over him, that that will come forth, Lord, that, that anything that was meant against him for evil will be used for good in the name of Jesus. And we just declare a delivering spirit, of, Lord, there's a spirit of deliverance on his life to deliver those from evil, Lord. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, I've been, um, I started a series called Weapons of Warfare, and I want to talk about Jehoshaphat and the battle that, they, that he waged as a king. So I want you to turn in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I've preached on this before, but it's been a long time. So this was... Um, So after, king, after David was king and, and after Solomon, Israel was divided into two nations, so to speak, two parts. You had the northern kingdom, which was called Israel. It kept the name Israel. And then you had the southern kingdom, which was called Judah. All right? And so sometimes you might get it. You have to pay attention when you read Kings and Chronicles when it says the king of Judah, or the king of Israel. And then they are lapping over their, their, their reigns and stuff like that. So it's helpful to know, hey, there was two kingdoms. There was Israel, which was the northern kingdom, and then Judah was the southern kingdom. And so you had the northern kingdom, Israel, got deported to Babylon in 720 B.C. And Judah stayed around a little longer. But they were finally deported as well to Babylon in 586 B.C. And so the whole, all of Israel was desolate for 70 years. Uh, and that's when Jeremiah and Ezekiel said, you know, 70 years you'll be deported and then God's going to send you back. And so, but um, all these kings, it's pay attention whether it's Israel or Judah, uh, or Judah. So in verse 1, chapter 20, now it came about after this that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon together with some of the uh, Munites came to make war against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and reported to Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, out of Aram, and behold, they are in Hazazan Tamar, which is in Gedi. 
Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O Lord, the God of our fathers, are you not God in the heavens? And are you not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hand so that no one can stand against you. Did you not, O our God, drive out the inhabitants of the land before your people Israel and give it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? They have lived in it and have built you a sanctuary there for your name, saying, should evil come upon us, the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry to you in our distress, and you will hear and deliver us. Now behold, the sons of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you did not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, they turned aside from them and did not destroy them. See how they are rewarding us by coming to drive us out of, our, out of your possession, which you have given us as an inheritance. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants, their wives, and their children. Then in the midst of the assembly, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, the Levite of the sons of Asaph. And he said, listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley in front of the wilderness of Jeruel. You need not fight in this battle. Station yourselves. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out to face them, for the Lord is with you. Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. The Levites from the sons of the Kohathites and the sons of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a very loud voice. They rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, O Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put your trust in the Lord your God and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. When he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire. And they went out before the army and said, Give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. When they began singing and praising, the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah. So they were routed. For the sons of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, destroying them completely. And when they had finished with the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When Judah came to the lookout of the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and behold, there were corpses lying on the ground, and no one had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found so much food among them, including goods, garments, and valuable things, which they took for themselves, more than they could carry. And they were three days taking the spoil because there was so much. Then on the fourth day, they assembled in their valley of Barakah, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, they have named the place the Valley of Barakah until today. Every man of Judah and Jerusalem returned with Jehoshaphat at their head 
returning to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them to rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps, lyres, and trumpets to the house of the Lord, and the dread of God was on all the kingdoms of the lands when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the, the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God gave him rest on all sides. All right, water time. So it's good. Sometimes you just got to read the, read the story. So I want to talk about the keys to victory for Jehoshaphat. Because just imagine, you know, you say you had a, an army of 40,000 and you're in a valley and you see on, on that mountain there's an army, on that mountain there's an army, on that mountain there's an army, and, the, and they all have 40,000. So it's, you know, four against one or even worse odds. And Jehoshaphat was one of the rare good kings of Judah and Israel. And uh, he had a few compromises in his life. He, he made a deal with uh, Ahab, king of Israel, who was the most evil king to ever go through uh, Israel. They fought together against Egypt. He tore down a lot of the, uh, he tore down the Baal temples, but he also left up some high places of worship to to some of the other gods. But at the same, but at the same time, he, he was a good king in a lot of ways. And so he did look to the Lord and turn his heart towards the Lord. And so one of the keys to victory for Jehoshaphat was that the first, he, he, he sought the Lord. And so many times when a, a problem comes up in our life, sometimes we, we start trying to figure it out in the natural, right? You're like, um, Hey, I just lost my job. All right, how much do we have in savings? Do we, what's our stock? None of that is wrong to consider. None of that's wrong. It's good to have those things. But do we, do we actually turn to the Lord? Are we like, do we say, all right, Lord, you got this. Your word says I've, you've never seen the righteous begging bread. So uh, I'm going to trust in you. I know I've got this stuff over here, but all that can disappear really quick. It can. It says in Proverbs, money has wings and can fly. <laughs> so it can leave really fast. So who, what is your trust in? And so it's, I was reading actually today in Proverbs, Proverbs 11, it says, uh, riches do not save in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. So the day of wrath, or, you know, just say there's tough times that come upon a nation. What's going to deliver you? It's not going to be riches. It's going to be your relationship with God. God's going to deliver you. You know, we, I heard uh, Mike Bickle say one time, um, you know, he preaches on the end times a lot. So somebody asked him a question. It was like, should we store up food and Supplies and, you know, should we be, what's that TV show where they do all that kind of stuff? Like doomsday, what's that? Doomsday preppers. Should we be doomsday preppers? And uh, I loved his answer. He said, well, I mean, it's fine if you want to do that, but you're going to have to like give it to your neighbors anyways. 
He said, if you're, if you're a child of God, you're going to have to share with people anyway. So it's like, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, do what you want, but it's, you're not keeping it for yourself if you, if you follow Jesus' example. So, <laughs> um, so we set the seeker, he, he, he set his face to seek the Lord. The second thing he did was he fasted. Now, Jesus, there's a couple of things I just want to point out about fasting. G, um, if you remember, there's a story. I can't remember where it's at in the Gospels, but the disciples are trying to cast out a demon, and they couldn't cast the demon out of this boy. And they said, Jesus, uh, why can't we cast this demon out? And he said, because this, and he said, oh, you unbelieving generation. This kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. And what Jesus was actually referring to is that unbelief comes out by fasting. Because the disciples would be able to, you know, if they believed they could cast the demon out, then they would be able to do it. That was the point that Jesus was making. I mean, he said this kind of unbelief comes out by prayer and fasting. And so what, one of the things fasting does is actually increases our faith. Like it, God just it's, uh, puts you in a position to re just receive and believe Jesus more, the gift of faith. The second thing it does is um, the Pharisees said, why don't your disciples and John the Baptist, actually it was John the Baptist's disciples asked Jesus this, says, why, don't, why don't your dis disciples fast? And Jesus said, well, the bridegroom's with them. So there's no need to fast because it's like a time of rejoicing because when the bridegroom's present, then it's, 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 a, it's a good time, party time. That's what heaven's going to be like, right, when we're in the presence of the bridegroom. But he says when the bridegroom's taken away, then they will fast. And so what is fasting, what is Jesus talking about? Is that fasting is about the presence of Jesus. And so what, part of what we do, what happens when we fast is we're more sensitive to the presence. We're more sensitive to the spirit of God. And in God's mysterious ways, it actually helps manifest the presence more. Now, when I'm actually in the midst of fasting, some people it works differently, but for me, when I'm actually fasting, I feel almost nothing, zero presence. I'm, but then afterwards, I start seeing the fruit. Some people, while they're fasting, they're getting all the good stuff. But so it's not about even how you feel during the fast. It's just that you're believing that this is what it's for. Okay. So they fasted. And it wasn't just Jehoshaphat. It was a corporate fast. There's, there's power in that. Third, they gathered corporately. So this is why Jesus in Hebrews, it says, don't forsake assembling together. Why? Because there's power to win battles that are bigger than you. There's battles that are bigger than you. There's nations that are at stake. And so corporately, we have to come together for the sake of nations and regions and cities. That's why we assemble together. That's why we're purposeful and intentional about worshiping together, breaking bread, getting around, studying the word, worshiping Jesus. It's, it's a simple uh, command and, and, and steps to take. We worship together. We eat together. We break bread, the word and 
and, phys- and food together. The fourth thing they did is they reminded God, Jehoshaphat in his prayer, reminded God of his sovereignty. <laughs> God likes for you to remind him, not that he needs reminding, but he just, it's for him, it's like, yeah, I'm glad you remember that. You need to remember that. And so uh, Jehoshaphat, he said, oh Lord, the God of our fathers, are you not God in the heavens? God knew that. Are you not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Again, God, he's aware. (laughs) Power and might are in your hands so that no one can stand against you. God knows that. He's So Jehoshaphat starts reminding God of all the things that he's done and who he is. But who's that for? It's it's for him. (laughs) And so say you're praying for somebody. And, and, you know, I've prayed for I was like, God, you've done this before. You've done it. I've seen you do this in somebody's life. I've seen you deliver them from this evil. God, do it again. And it's one of those things that builds your faith. It's a remembering, it's a testimony. You're basically reminding yourself of testimonies and who who God is. So we remind God of who he is. So in prayer, it's God has absolutely no problem with you reminding him who he is because he knows what it's doing, what it's doing inside of you. Worship, um, did you know God doesn't need our worship? It doesn't help build his self-esteem up. He, he doesn't need it. One of the reasons he, he tells us to worship is because it's, it opens us up to experience him. It's opening your heart to him. So what he really likes is for you to know him. That's what he really likes. And he knows, he's, he knows like all the power, glory, and honor are his, and, and, we're, and we're to give that to him. But it's not because he's lacking in self-esteem or needs a encouragement, even though we, we get to bless the Lord. I remember I had, my view of God was just so, that he was such an authority and such uh, the blessing giver, and that I hadn't, Really nothing to offer him, which is, you know, there's, some, there's a lot of truth in that, but it can get twisted. And this was right when I had just surrendered to the Lord. Uh, me and Jessica were playing cards with a friend. And uh, Jessica, I probably beat her at a hand or something. And she said, she went, well, bless the Lord. And I said, you can't bless the Lord. Only God's the one that, he's the one that only can bless and then my friend was like, he's like, no, nah, baby, it's in the Bible. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. And I, I was like, we can bless the Lord? I have something to give to the Lord? <laughs> and it just, I was like, okay, so I can please the Lord? Like, that was like a foreign concept to me, you know? Fifth was, he reminded God of his power, which I read. Six, he reminded God of his covenant. So in verse seven, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? He's like, God, do you remember that promise you made Abraham? 
I'm related to him. You said his descendants, stars of the sky. You remember that, that whole thing? So what do we do when we pray? It's like, God, you, you remember the, the promise you made for those who are in Christ that we're, I'm a co-heir with Jesus Christ. Everything that Jesus has access to, I have access to that. You said you'd deliver me from all of my enemies. You, Lord, you said you'd work all things for the, my good because I love you. You said you'd give me wisdom if I just asked for wisdom. And Peter actually says when you know his promises, it actually changes your nature. When you uh, believe the promises of God, it actually does a transforming work where it makes your nature more like the Lord's. It says we are partakers of the divine nature through his great and precious promises. Right? Somebody confirm that for me? Amen. So we're partakers of his nature through his great and precious promise, promises. So the promises of God will transform you. Seven, they, they confess their powerlessness and dependency on God. There is this dichotomy of our identity. And uh, it's like a, two sides of a coin. You have to realize that outside of Jesus Christ, you have nothing. You have no power. You are a slave to sin. You are a slave to the devil. There's no neutral ground in the kingdom. You're either for Jesus or you're against him. So you're either on the devil's team or you're against him. Or you're, you're with Jesus. It's, it's two kingdoms and that's it. And so, but in Christ, you're seated at the right hand of God. You've been given Jesus' nature. You're powerful. You can pray and, and people will get healed. People will get delivered. You can have a new mind. You can uh, see things from a heavenly perspective. You have eternal life. But, not, but it's because it's all about Jesus. That's why it says, Colossians 1.27, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Colossians 3, 1 through 3 says, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not things that are below, for you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You have died. The old man that was powerless, full of sin, full of Oppression, being oppressed, a slave to the enemy, a slave to sin. He's dead. Number eight, the families gather together. Verse 13, all Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants, their wives, and their children. Imagine Jessica was holding little Finn up here. And imagine uh, just being surrounded by an army. You're like, bring the children. We're going to worship. You're like, well, there's, uh, there's guys have spears. They have bows and arrows. I'm not, they could point it at my child. They're like, well, what? You're going to die anyways. God's got to show up. <laughs> and that's really what the stakes are. It's just like, we bring, so it's, it's this picture of, hey, what if, what if families went to war together in prayer? 
Now, it's not going to, I'm going to go ahead and burst your bubble if it hadn't already been burst a little bit. It may be like um, them staring off into space or like pulling on your whiskers or whatever it may be while you pray. Or them, you know, you're like, hey, do you want to pray? And like, no, no, not really. I was like, well, just going to have to pray anyways. All right, you know, so... So it's, I used to get upset with Jessica because she didn't do quiet times the way I did. When we were first married, I was like, we're gonna, honey, we're going to have a devotional together. All right? We're going we're gonna to seek the Lord. And so I get my worship music on. More love, more power. Yes, God. You, yes, God. Come on. And Jessica's curled up. She's, a, she's doing this on the couch. And I'm like, are you falling asleep? Can you not even stay awake an hour with me? I know that's how self-righteous I was. I was taking Jesus's place, you know? And so she's like, I'm, I'm praying. I was like, but you're not like into it. And she's like, you know, Jessica's easily persuaded not. And so I bet she's like, I'm, I'm good. Like, I think you've got a problem. And uh, I was like, I know, but it just doesn't feel like, I mean, we're doing this together and like, we're not, like, I don't hear you singing and what's going on. And so like, but God, so I, we event, I eventually died to my little self-righteousness thing I had going on and realized, oh, it could look different. And so, um, and so when you have children, you got to realize it's like, hey, they're not going to be like, maybe, it, hopefully, I mean, I, I would love for my kids to just be like all the time, they're, they're, they're doing it the way I'm, I'm going to do it, but guess what? They're probably, they're different. They're, God made them unique. They're probably not going to do it exactly the way I do it, but still gathering together as families to pray. And it just doesn't matter what it looks like. I remember Andy Stanley talking about his uh, praying with his kids before bed. And he said, it was just like wrangling cats, you know, just like, you know, one kid's, you know, shaking the, you know, moving the bed of the other person. Like, stop, we're praying, you know, come on. And, uh, I do that. I'll be praying over my kids. And, um, you know, one of them's like picking at their arm. They're like, Dad, I need some more. I was like, Are you even listening? I'm praying right now. Are you even listening to me? They're like, But it, does, it doesn't matter. Like, God's just bigger than all that. I mean, how little would God have to be if she's like, Listen, I'm Lydia, she wasn't paying attention when you prayed. She was picking at her arm, Travis. Sorry, that prayer didn't reach heaven. I mean, when we stop and think about it, it's like, that's stupid. And so, like, you just, like, God's like, hey, you, you're doing the, like, you're, I know you're weak. Like, I know you, you don't have it all together, and I never asked you to have it all together. Because I got one person that did have it all together and does have it all together. So the families gathered together. 
How did God respond to this prayer and to their gathering together? So as Travis was sharing about the families gathering to pray together, I know we have lots of young families and maybe some families on their way um, here. But one thing that one of the fruit of gathering together as family to pray is when your kids start praying for you and they see your weakness. So when you gather together to pray, you really have an army in your own house. And so I just want to encourage y'all with that. And um, just the other day, Josiah was praying, and he was thanking God for all kinds of interesting things. And, and then he said, God, thank you. He just ended, and we just, he was so excited about it. He said, thank you that we're wealthy. Travis and I were like, yes, God, thank you that we're wealthy. <laughs> it was just so good because like he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have like our perspective, which is the beauty of your children praying for you because they don't know what you know. They don't have our perspective. They really have a perspective that's more from heaven than it is from earth. And so when you get opportunity to gather with a family to pray, do it. I know we have a lot of young adults here this morning. So it's like find a family to pray with. It's really fun. And doing that even here when we, um, this morning, we were praying before the service and just coming together and believing God for something together is really powerful. So find people in your, in the body of Christ, in your family to fight with. It's a beautiful thing. That's good. So God tells them, do not, be, do not be afraid or dismayed, all right? This is something he spoke to Moses. So get, and Jehoshaphat and them, they, they know this. They know the stories. And so when, they, when the Lord's speaking through Jehaziel, it's like this comforting thing. He's like, he's, he's telling us what he told Moses. And he's gonna do the same thing for us as he did for Moses, a great deliverance. Second, the battle is not yours, and you do not need to fight this battle. Stand firm and hold your position. So there's times where God, God's going to have you do, uh, because he doesn't like formulas, he likes you being in the flow of his spirit. There's going to be times where he tells you to stand firm and hold your position. And then there's going to be times where he says, you need to get out there, get off your keister and advance. And so this happened in Joshua with Jericho. So God told them to use a very uh, passive uh, strategy against Jericho. He says, you're just going to march around the city, and then you're going to blow like trumpets and yell, and the walls are going to come down. You're just going to walk in and take the spoils. Like it's, it's going to be really, it's going to be that simple if you can just obey and trust the crazy. And so they do that. God hands Jericho into their hands. Uh, the next city they, they come against is uh, Ai, Ai, however you want to pronounce it. It's spelled Ai. And so God tells them, um, you're going to fight against this city, and I want you to draw them out. You're going to have one half of the army in front, and you're going to draw 
the warriors out of the city. The second half of the army is going to come behind, sack the city, and then y'all going to make a uh, a sandwich. All right, and so that's used in military strategies across the world. And then uh, I remember one time God was just speaking to me about a situation and and I was just praying and I was just praying. I heard the Lord said, you need to, you need to uh, get up and confront this thing. And he reminded me of Joshua where Josh, they, the Achan had sinned in the camp. They had lost a, a battle. Joshua was on his face and, and seeking guys like, God, why did we lose? I thought you promised us that we would take this land. And God speaks to Joshua. He's like, why are you on your face? He says, go and there's sin in the camp. Go and confront it. And so there's times where you pray things out, and then there's times where God tells you, you got to go confront that thing. And so it's all about listening to the Lord. But many, many times, so much, it's just about standing firm and holding your position. So you go out into the battlefield, and I just imagine sometimes I have images of what war looks like in heaven for us. And I, I, I've had this image of where I go out and I'm just like in, I have no armor and I just have this flag that I'm holding. And like, there's this nasty, nasty army in front of me and they're coming straight at me. And I'm just like, <laughs> like close my eyes and just hold it. And, and like God and all these angels like rush in and just, and, I, and all this stuff's going around me. I'm just like this, I'm just holding the flag. And so many times that's what God does is he, you know, you're weak and vulnerable. And he says, just hold the flag up. And the angels and the delivering powers of heaven come and, and defeat your enemies. See the salvation of the Lord. And this is, a, this is really a key. So whenever, uh, say you get overwhelmed by what's going on in our nation, like I did this past week and I was praying and, one of the things I, that started happening when I started laughing, laughing was I started seeing uh, stadiums filled. That it's, you know, Billy Graham passed away. So I just believe there's going to be a multiplication effect of stadium meetings in Christianity where people are going to be, there's thousands and thousands are going to be saved by the droves. And so I just imagined all these stadiums being filled and I imagined Sanford Stadium where uh, you know, they do Georgia on one side, Bulldogs on the other. I just imagine them saying, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. And I just saw like, and then the whole stadium did Jesus together. It was like, Jesus. And, so, and it's like the heavens like, did like this. You just saw heaven say, Jesus and it was just shaking the principalities and the powers of darkness. Just from people saying the name of Jesus together in unison. Isn't God amazing? That's, that's, what it, that's, all, that's what it is. And so you, you imagine, you see the salvation of the Lord. You want to lead somebody to Jesus. Imagine you telling them your testimony. Imagine them sharing the gospel. Do you know what it means to be born again? I know uh, Chris Overstreet, when he, he said when he started getting into evangelism. He said he would just be in his room and he would, he would imagine 
sharing the gospel with people. Billy Graham, when he was in seminary in Florida, there was this lake that had this island in it, and he would, he would paddle out to that, that little island, and there's nothing but birds and bees and other animals, and he would preach the gospel to the animals. He would say, Jesus died for your sins and your sins and my sins. You need to come to know Jesus. And he's preaching to the animals. But he was seeing the salvation of the Lord. And so, so many times, we, when, if, you get, if you're getting bogged down, you're getting uh, not hopeful. Anything that's not glistening with hope is under the, the influence of Allah. That's what Steve Backlund, I've heard him say that. Anything that's not glistening with hope, any thought that you have that's not glistening with hope is under the influence of Allah. Because Jesus is, God is the God of hope. So we see the salvation of the Lord. Imagine the victory. So how did the people respond to God's answer? They fell down and worshiped God for his answer. They humbled themselves. They, the Levites, the Korites, and the Kohathites, priests and worshipers, stood up with a loud voice to praise God. So the Korites were the songwriters. The Levites were the ceremonial priests. The Kohathites were the guys that carried the ark of the presence. They carried the ark of God. They carried the presence. We've actually, somebody gave us a word as, as a church, the awakening, that we have, that we're Kohathites. We carry the presence. We carry the ark. And so, but this is true for, for every believer in Christ. We're all these things. <laughs> we're priests. We're kings. We're a holy nation. We carry the presence. We're songwriters. Sing to God a new song. So they responded with a loud voice. With a loud voice. Jehoshaphat encouraged his people to believe the report of the Lord of the Lord over man's report. What is God's report over the USA? I know it's a, it's a good one. He wants America to be saved. He wants there to be healing in the nation. He wants there to be unity in the church, healing in the church. Pray that, you know, I, I had this picture one time of uh, I was praying for uh, racial reconciliation in the church. And I saw this uh, color spectrum and you had on one end you had white and on the other hand you had black. And I saw the Lord just take his hands like this. And he smushed white into the black. And he said, when white and black come together, all the other colors will be caught up in it. And so that's what I'm praying for is like, there'd be, there'd be unity in that. And the Hispanic, the Asian, all the other beautiful colors are gonna be caught up in that reconciliation. But, but guys, this is the thing. We can't expect people that don't have Jesus to act like that. It's got to start in the church, right? Because we have the one that can bring unity, that can bring healing. 
So the church has to be an example. And I just, and so how does it start with you? You just develop relationships and you love people of different color. That's all you do. And you do your part. God asks you to do something more that's affecting more of a, a larger group of people, then you do that. But right now, you just start where you're at. You're like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to develop, develop relationships with people of other color, and I'm just going to show that. I want to show them the love of Jesus, Lord. Jehoshaphat appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army, and they said this, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. So did you know that this is perhaps one of the greatest uh, quotes, or this is one of the greatest things in warfare you can say. Because this is what they were declaring as they headed into war, right? They had all the worshipers before the army. What kind of strategy is that? Hey, let's send all the guys that are untrained who will get slaughtered to go before the army. They're the front line. <laughs> but God said it's, it's that thing where you stand on the battlefield and you hold the flag and you worship God, the warrior king, the Lord of hosts, which means Lord of the angel armies. And he comes in and he fights for you. So when we, we, when we worship when we declare this, when we, any situation that comes into our life, what if we responded, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love endures forever. I lost my job. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love endures forever. I got a job. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love endures forever. My parent passed away. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love endures forever. We're pregnant. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love endures forever. But this is, you feel like you're in a warfare situation, declare this over your life. And you stand on it. You give thanks and you declare God's goodness over it and you declare his love endures forever. There's nothing that can separate me from the love of Christ. So what was the result? When they began to sing and praise, the Lord set up ambushes for the enemy and routed them. So the Lord confused the, the enemy. You know, the, the enemy is smarter than you, but he's uh, really dumb to the Lord. That's why you need to be in Christ. That's why you need to wage war in Christ, not in your own strength. But the enemy, they started killing each other. Like, oh, you, Ammon slayed Moab, and then they, Moab slayed Mount Sierra. And when they got to the battlefield, there's corpses. And then they just started collecting spoil. Now, that's what we do when we receive Jesus Christ. We just start collecting the spoils that Jesus won for us. The people of God took the spoils, goods, clothing, precious things. They couldn't carry it all. So guess what? We get to give it away. 
It took three days to collect the spoil. And I, my personal opinion is this is just a, a prophetic sign. It took three days to collect the spoils of Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross. There was three days where people want, they couldn't see the spoils, right? Jesus is dead. What are we going to do? We're going to hole up in a room and cry, which I don't blame them. And then they go to the tomb, and I love <laughs> the angel said, why are you here? I want to see my Lord. This one last time, he's like, why do you look for the living among the dead? Ooh. Why do you look for the living among the dead? That was the first glimpse of the spoils that Jesus had won. Then Jesus starts appearing to them. He says, touch my hand. Did you know Jesus, is, he had a body like mine, except it's like a glorified body. He walked through a wall with a body like this. He wasn't ghost Jesus. He said, because he said, touch my hand. So guess what? One of the perks in heaven, you get to walk through walls. You're not a ghost. You actually have a glorified body, okay? But it is outside of natural law. <laughs> and so here's Jesus. They're touching him. He's, he gets to, he, he's disguised himself on the road to these believers on, on the road to Emmaus. He's like, tell me what's, what's happening in Jerusalem. He's like, have you not heard? They're like being rude to Jesus. They're like, where have you been? Have you not heard? Oh, yeah, I mean, tell me. What's going on? Then their hearts burned within them when they realized it was Jesus. The people assembled in the valley of Baraka, which means blessing, where they bless the Lord. So when you bless the Lord, you're going to be blessed. That's just the way God likes to work. They returned to Jerusalem with joy for God. They returned to Jerusalem with joy for God had made them rejoice over their enemies. Worship increased. Musical instruments increased. Verse 28. So everybody, they started grabbing instruments. And I feel like this is uh, one of my, I was actually praying this morning. I was like, God, at some point in time, give us a space where we can just worship and pray at our discretion, like where we just come together it's like, hey, let's go to the house of the Lord. We're gonna worship and pray. And, in, and potentially, I, I do believe in Athens, Georgia, we're gonna see a restoration of the Tabernacle of David. How, how many of you know what that means, what the Tabernacle of David means? It means 24 seven worship and prayer. And it may not be in one place, but it's gonna be going throughout all the city where the believers are lifting up incense before the throne of God, worship and prayer. So it may be that one day the awakening, there's, we have Wednesdays and Thursdays where we're just, it's worship around the clock and then Living Hope's got this day and whatever it may look like, I don't know. But the, I do believe God's gonna restore that. The fear of God came upon the surrounding kingdoms. I believe that there's a possibility where we can come into a place and the fear of God can come on people and they can act, they would ask Jesus. They would be like, how, how may I be saved? Charles Finney 
had an anointing on his life like this where he was in New York and he walked into a factory. He didn't say one word, didn't preach one word of the gospel, but the gospel was living inside of him. And so when he came in, workers just started, and they started wailing, oh, God. I mean, it, it, it was. I mean, it's some, like sometimes when God moves, it's not like a pretty scene. You know what I'm saying? Like wailing, snot, and I mean, moans that you're just like, oh, my wow, what's, what's going on? They were grieving over their sin and, and, he, and people were crying out to God and, and Charles Finney, all he had to do is just tell them, receive Jesus. But he didn't preach a sermon to him. He stepped into a fa- he was taking the tour of a factory. But the presence came and the fear of God came upon them. And then peace came upon Jehoshaphat's kingdom. So what can we do? What, how can you move forward with this? The only thing I want to ask you to do is just, is just give thanks to the Lord. Declare his goodness over your situation and declare that nothing can separate you from his love. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love endures forever. The gospel is simple. Relationship with Jesus is simple. But the devil wants you to think it's really complicated. <laughs> it's really hard to get into his presence. <laughs> Because you got to get everything, man, I got, you got to have your coffee and your journal and your Bible. That's the only way to enter into the presence. We enter into his courts with coffee, journal, and Bible, not with Thanksgiving. <laughs> no, nah, but anywhere I give thanks, I'm in his courts. Anywhere I give praise, I'm there. I'm in the, I'm in the presence. So let's stand up. You got anything, babe? So as we go, just um, in those things like the hard things where we're tempted to just tell God what he needs to do, um, if we can make a conscious effort to shift our mind and start asking him questions. Because if you're here on a rainy Sunday morning, you probably want to hear from God, right? I mean, like, so the thing that happens is when when it's like this and the armies are all around us, and we're like, this is how I fight my battle. We, we've got that all inside of us, and it's so powerful, but our head just keeps going, okay, God, give me this and do this. All right, now if you'll do that and then this and this, okay, now show me that it's you. You know, like show me that what I want is actually you. Maybe I'm the only one who does that. But, um, you know, so when we get caught up in that, that thing of our our own heart trying to just express itself to God, just stop for a minute and ask him some questions. And it's easier to ask God a question when you start with, God, thank you that I lost my job. What are you doing? What are you, what are you doing? What's next? You know I have a house payment. So how are we going to do that? You know, you might have some ideas, but I promise they aren't as good as God's ideas. And so when you start asking him those questions, it just helps ask the questions when we say, thank you, God. Thank you that I have this professor and not the one that I wanted. Or thank you that I got this internship and not the other one. What are you doing? How are we going to do this together? Because I'm with you. I'm in you. And... So we have a ministry team 
that will come, will pray for you. Um, they're going to be over here on this side. So if you have some things that you want to thank God for, but it's a little out of your league, because sometimes it is, it's like, I'm not really thankful. And that's okay too. It's totally fine to say thank you, God, for something you're not thankful for. <laughs> Permission granted. Because we think that with God, we have to have it all figured out and then come to him. But how many of you want to go to work every day or class? No, we get up and go because that's what we, you just go. You may not want to, but you do it. The same thing is with God. He says, give thanks. So just do it. Even if you don't connect with it, you will. So, if you want to pray. Well, Lord, I just thank you that you, you are the God that wins battles. That you are more than a conqueror. And that in you, we are more than a conqueror. Just tell yourself, I'm more than a conqueror. I'm more than a conqueror. That doesn't mean that you win your battle. It means that you win it and you do more. So don't see yourself just winning your battle. See yourself more than a conqueror. You are more than a conqueror. Those around you, your brothers and sisters in Christ, are more than conquerors. We fight this battle together as the body. Holy Spirit, give us your perspective on the battles that we're in. Thank you, God, that you are more than a conqueror over our country of our city. Over our families. Thank you, God. Thank you that you see us in the secret place. You see our battles. You see our depression. You see our anger. You see our jealousy. You see our greed. And you come running to us, embracing us, loving us. Thank you that those things, no matter how ugly they are, don't push you away. Thank you, God. Draw us to yourself that we can run together, God. We love you. Amen. We're going to worship to one more song. And if you'd like ministry, you can come over to this side.